Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for being our great God tonight, for being, Lord, the God of Ruth, and doing so much, Lord, for saving us from our sins that we didn't deserve, for being our gracious God, protecting us as Eric has already prayed tonight, watching over us, Lord, in so many ways. Thank you for being that for us tonight and help us to learn from you, our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if you will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she laid his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that is thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave ye me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. And here's the key verse. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Now, this is an amazing History. I don't know, they put this chair here because they figure I'm going to fall over once. Anyway, this amazing history here, it's about, you know, the book of Ruth. What's so amazing about the book of Ruth is that it tells how a Gentile Moabitess became King David's great-grandmother and in line in the Messianic line. That's amazing. And this history of Ruth, this Moabitess, is so interesting because here's a woman who did not want to get married again. She was happy to devote herself exclusively to taking care of her mother-in-law, Naomi. But Naomi loved young Ruth and didn't want her to waste her life taking care of an old lady, Naomi. So she concocted this plan. She said that the goal of which was to give her a home which she called a rest. And this plan, it was so cockamamie. It was so strange. 
and she pushed Ruth into it. Now, her plan was that Ruth should sneak into the winnowing floor at night where the men slept and cautiously spy out where Boaz bedded down. And then Ruth should ask Boaz to marry her, pressing the fact that Boaz was obligated to marry her because of the law of preserving the man's name who died without children. And when we step back and just look at this, we see how God used Naomi's plan to marry off Ruth as a way to build the line that's gonna produce King David and the Messiah. And it's just amazing. It's amazing to this cockamamie plan that Ruth should sneak into the men's dorm at night and tell Boaz he has to marry her. I mean, with hindsight, we look back and we see clearly that Naomi was led of the Lord. That was God's will with her crazy plan. And so that makes us ask the question, how do these things work? I mean, how do these things work that this was of God? And it was God's will for Ruth to marry Boaz, but through Naomi's plan? I mean, it makes us shake our heads and say, what? I mean, it reminds us of the time when God wanted to destroy a king of Israel, King Ahab, because he was an idolater, and so King Ahab called all 400 of his prophets together and asked them for advice if he should go to war with, with Syria, and they all said, yes, King Ahab, you're gonna defeat Syria, you go. It was unanimous, there was not one dissenter, and they were all 100% wrong. And this unanimous consent of all these 400 prophets is amazing to us. And there was now, because there wasn't one prophet who said, no, don't do it. Or, you know, it might not be a good idea, king, to attack Syria. Not one. It, no, it was, it was strange. And if we didn't have any more information, we'd pass it on and say, well, it was strange. That's all we would say. Yeah, that was strange. You know, we would have left it at that and said, I don't know. But, but what really happened was told to us by one prophet, Micaiah, and he explained what happened, which we didn't know, but he said what he saw. And that was in 2 Chronicles 18, 18. 2 Chronicles 18, 18, where this prophet said, again he said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on the right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall entice Ahab king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramat Gilead. And one spake after saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner, then came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him. Thou shalt also prevail, go out, do even so. Now therefore, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and he was referring to the 400. And the Lord has spoken evil against thee. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing for us to see. The God of the universe, so concerned about what's happening in this speck, which is earth, that he calls a meeting of all the hosts of heaven. Can you, get, can you picture that? All the hosts of heaven gathered around him. I mean, it must have been an unbelievable sight. I mean, can you imagine all the hosts of heaven being summoned? You gotta come to God, you gotta come to his throne, and they all gather around, the right hand of his throne, the left hand of his throne, and God puts a question to them all. He said, who has a way to entice King Ahab so he can go up and fall at Raymond Gilead? And can you imagine the sight of one after the other making his pitch, making his proposal to God? He said, I got it, God. Just listen to my plan. 
and that's an amazing sight, you know, to see God of the universe asking everyone in heaven for proposals on how we're gonna get King Ahab to go and fall at Ramat Gilead, and then listening to all their proposals. I mean, that gives us an insight to what believers are gonna be doing in heaven. We're gonna be asked by God to think. We're gonna be asked by God to create. We're gonna ask by God to propose how to work together with God to accomplish his will throughout all eternity. You thought you were just gonna relax on a cloud with a harp, right? <laughs> All right, and then there was one spirit who stood before the Lord and said, I will entice Ahab. And God said, well, how are you gonna do that? And the spirit said, easy. I'll be a lying spirit in his mouth of King Ahab's prophets. And the Lord said, great, you got the job, go for it. You're gonna, that's a little bit of paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And then more paraphrasing, the spirit looked at the others and said, ha! No, that's not, I'm, not, I'm just joking. All right, now. <laughs> but that's what was behind all the 400 false prophets being 100% convinced, 100% wrong, that King Ahab could conquer Syria. I mean, we thought it was just a coincidence that all 400 prophets agreed King Ahab was gonna attack and succeed over Syria. We have no idea. We have no idea how much heaven is involved in what's happening here on earth. I mean, what's really being communicated to us when this scene that I was telling you about is Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, we think we're just struggling with this person or that person, or this obstacle or that obstacle, or this health condition or that health condition, when in reality, there's a whole unseen world of spiritual forces at play. Now, maybe there was a similar scene in heaven, I don't know, where God said to the hosts of heaven, we got a problem here because Ruth really doesn't wanna get married and she just wants to stay with Naomi. So who has a plan for, to get Ruth to marry Boaz? I don't know, maybe one after the other made their proposals to God and finally one spirit stood up and said, I got it, God. I'm gonna cause Naomi to order Ruth to sneak into the men's dorm at night and wake up Boaz and ask him to be the kinsman redeemer and marry him. I don't know, maybe God said, that's great, you got the job, go for it. So reluctantly, Ruth complies with Naomi's directions. She sneaks into the winnowing floor at night where the men were and she waits for Boaz to fall asleep and then she startles him half to death. <laughs> and Ruth says to Boaz, what she said to him, caused him to not rest until he finished the matter, because then there was a problem with the other kinsman redeemer. But the issue here is that Boaz was anxious about this, and he was not gonna rest until he finished the matter during the day. He was a man of action. Boaz was not passive. Passivity is a great problem today. We are living in an age of passivity. We are living in a world of whatever, and passivity causes laziness, it causes slothfulness. And that feeds on fear. And that's what Proverbs 22:13. Proverbs 20:13 says, the slothful man saith, there's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. That's a description of a person who plays it too safe, who plays it so safe, he never takes any risks. And because he is that, he never goes anywhere. Fear can be so gripping that it enters into the realm of the irrational. I don't wanna go outside, there's lions out there, don't you know? I could probably get you afraid tonight to walk out that door. You know I got that door. Right down on Woodside North, there's lions out there. All right, now, I like so much the speaker at the last Christmas Under the Stars. He made a great distinction by questions, two questions. He said, okay, 
Here's a fearful per person, he asks this question. Here's a courageous person, he asks this question. You know what the fearful person asks the question of? Is it over yet? That's a fearful person. Is it over yet? What's a courageous person ask the question? What's next? What's next? The fearful person, oh, he didn't put it quite the way, but anyway, fearful person says, boy, that was pretty rough. I got pretty bruised up. All I want to know is, is it over yet? I'm not going to do that again. No more risk for me in life. Whereas the courageous person says, that was challenging. That was adventuresome. That was fun. What's next? Well, when Naomi said to Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he had finished the thing this day, Naomi was saying that Boaz was not passive. Boaz was not a whatever person. He was not a whatever type of person. You know, Boaz was not going the street down the street of whatever because the street of whatever leads to the house of never. And that was not Boaz. So when Naomi says about Boaz in verse 18, the man will not be in rest until they have finished the thing this day, she's telling Ruth Boaz is driven by a sense of urgency. She's telling Ruth Boaz is gonna be anxious over that. She's telling Ruth Boaz has a holy anxiety, and that's the title of the message. Holy anxiety, holy anxiety. There are certain things that people should be anxious over. Every man should be anxious and should be driven by a sense of urgency when it comes to personal salvation. It's a good thing to feel anxious and to have a sense of urgency over the problem of unforgiven sins, that's a problem. Over the problem of the approaching wrath of God, that's a problem. Over the problem of the nearness of the end of life and knowing that after life, you're gonna face judgment after death, that's a problem. The problem of the imminent entrance into eternity. Not so much the death part, it's what's after, the entrance into eternity. And that anxiety of not being at rest is designed to drive a person to action. And God describes the problem that should make him anxious. There's holy anxiety in the action he should take in Isaiah chapter 64, verse six. Isaiah 64, six describes problems that should drive a man to anxiety. Well, you know, what's the problem, first problem? But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, and there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold. I want you to really think about that word, take hold. It's a Hebrew word, it's a very interesting Hebrew word, chazak, and it means to be strong and to conquer. It's a warfare word. There's no one that stirs himself up to take hold, chazak, of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. So the first problem that should cause a holy anxiety we are all as an unclean thing. When it says we are all, it means all. It means all of us. It means there's not one person who is not defiled and dirty inside. That's a problem. And that should make a person like Boaz in verse 18. The man will not be in rest. And the second problem is all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When it says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, that means there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up. When we try to do good works to fix the problem of our uncleanness, we only make it worse because what we say, well, that was a really righteous act on my part, God says, that's filthy rag. So we cannot do anything by ourselves to fix the problem of our uncleanness. And Jeremiah said this. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 2.22. Jeremiah 2.22 
For though thou wash thee with nitre, that's like really strong soap. Though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me. It's stained. You can't get rid of it. Saith the Lord God. That should cause a holy anxiety. That should cause an anxiety. That should make a person, like verse 18, the man will not be in rest. And then the third problem is, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That means that our sins, that sins are the cause of being blown away from God, right into hell, at judgment, like it says in the first psalm, the very first psalm in fourth verse, Psalm 1-4, says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So these problems for man are that he has sinned, he has become unclean inside, he cannot do any good works or righteousness to fix the uncleanness, and at judgment, he's gonna fall. Now, that should develop a holy anxiety and make him like the person described in verse 18. The man will not be in rest. He's gotta do something, whereas to do nothing, that's the ultimate problem. And God describes that problem of being passive and doing nothing in the seventh verse of Isaiah 64, seven. Isaiah 64, seven, there is none that calleth upon thy name and stirs himself up to take hold of thee stirs himself up to take hold of thee. These problems should generate a holy anxiety. Man can do something about it. It's not foreordained, predestined, or whatever kind of word you wanna say as to who's gonna be saved. This is on the line. And God says people need to stir themselves up, take hold of thee. These problems should generate a holy anxiety that make the man to be like verse 18, the man will not be in rest. Drive him to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, relying on the promise of Romans 10, 13. The promise of Romans 10, 13 is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, those fears should drive a person to call out, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. So God looks for that holy anxiety that should scare him about his doomed state and drive him to stir up himself and take hold of God and be the man of verse 18, the man will not be in rest. When it says take hold, it's using that word, like I said, chazak, seize, be strong, conquer. It's a warfare word that God's using here for a person who has this holy anxiety of not being saved from his sins. Holy anxiety comes from not having peace with God. Not having peace with God. That verse 18, it should be the verse 18, the man will not be in rest. God says what, he, what to do. He said in Isaiah 27, 5, Isaiah 27, 5 says, or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. See, God says that the person who's not at peace with God needs to take hold of the strength of God. Again, that word chazak, he needs to fight to take hold of the strength of God so that he can make peace with God. Holy anxiety over not being saved, that's a good thing, and that should drive to an immediate action referred to in 2 Corinthians 6.2. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, when it says those words twice, now, it means it's really serious. It means now. It means now. Anybody in this room who has not made peace with God, and you know in your heart of hearts, you've been playing, you've been acting, maybe you've been play acting, but you know you really don't have peace with God. God says, fix it now, fix it today. Don't be passive, 
Holy anxiety, and it's described in verse 18, the man will not be in rest. It's a good anxiety. That anxiety should not be blocked. It should not be shut out by the mind. There should not be chemicals given. When a person is anxious, two chemicals are made in the brain called neurotransmitters. One is called dopamine, the other is called serotonin. And there's an epidemic of anxiety in our country. And some of that anxiety is holy anxiety, it's good. But all the doctors, they don't recognize holy anxiety, which is why one in six people are taking antipsychotic drugs, chemical straitjackets like Prozac and Seroquel and, and Ablify and, and Risperidone or Risperidol, which alone, that one alone, Johnson & Johnson's drug has $5 billion in sales. And what these, many of these drugs do, they block the actions of dopamine and serotonin by blocking the receptors for them, which means they induce a chemical passivity. I mean, the treatment for holy anxiety is making peace with God. But if one in six people in the US are taking antipsychotic drugs for all their lives. It's not like, you know, you take this temporarily, then we'll get you off it. No, all their lives. And they're blocking these receptors that cause the anxiety. These drugs induce a state of chemical passivity. These drugs block the holy anxiety. Drugs block holy anxiety from being lost, holy anxiety from, from not having peace with God. That's not something to be passive over. When a person feels holy anxiety over being separated from God, he's gonna fight to search for God. He's gonna fight to find God. You know, I want you to think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. He felt a holy anxiety before he died, and that drove him to seek the Lord and ask the Lord in his last moments of life, he was saved. In his last moments of life, heaven's door was opened up to him. What if he were given Ativan? What if he were given Ativan for his anxiety, which is typical here, typical here for people who are dying? What if he were given Ativan? See, it's a holy anxiety, which is a good thing to feel afraid over. It's good to feel afraid over Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's a holy anxiety to fear being separated from God. It's a holy anxiety to fear Hosea 5.5, Hosea 5.5, I will go, God says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and they seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. That's a good thing to feel anxious over, till they acknowledge their offense, that's man's job, and seek my face, that's man's job. Till they fight, till they seek my face, that's man's job, to find the face of God. Holy anxiety drives a person to fight in search of God, it drives a person to fight to find God. And that's why God says, you do fight, in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek, and that's the word bakash, you're gonna fight, you're gonna fight. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. There's a whole, now, those, that's a holy anxiety, and I've been talking about the lost and the unsaved there. And so, okay, fine, we're gonna put that off to one side now. Now we're gonna talk about a holy anxiety for believers. There is a holy anxiety for believers. It's a holy anxiety, and you can see it in Ezekiel 22.30, Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, 
I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And I found none. And then Isaiah 59, 16, Isaiah 59, 16, God says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 